Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. We've learned again that democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. Indeed, democracy has prevailed. And Joe Biden's the 46th president. He's ensconced in the White House now. Um, quite a day, uh, you guys. Murphy, Gibbs. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, hey. Good. Yeah, Actually, I'm I'm a, my blood pressure has gone down about uh, 20 percent in the last uh, 12 hours. It's, I don't know why. It just it just happened. Weird, I'm down 100 percent, but I haven't read the tax plan yet. I'm saving that for a few months from now. It was a good day for America. I think he was tone perfect. And it was good to see some Republicans there who looked as relieved as I am, frankly. You know, it just felt normal. I, I just I mean, yeah. it, it 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 just felt cleansing i think two weeks after what we saw happen on that side of the capitol and really all over the capitol it was um it was a moment america a series of moments that i think america really needed yeah so kudos to the organizers because it wasn't normal uh in fact you know gibbs you and i both sat on that platform uh, in 2008 and 2012 and looked out at a sea of humanity and they looked out at a sea of flags surrounded by chain link, oh, not chain link, but uh, razor wire uh, and fencing and, you know, tens of thousands of troops. Uh, in, so this was, this all took place in a green zone and yet that almost made that spirit of comedy with a T even more uh, pronounced as Republicans and Democrats um, reconsecrated uh, the Capitol after what happened two weeks ago. And I, I think, uh, you know, they did a phenomenal job of, um, of, of orchestrating all of it, you know. And maybe it's, you're right, Robert, maybe just the simple rituals all of a sudden became even yeah. more meaningful. I mean, we'll go through the speech, but, you know, I was struck by the fact, even at the beginning, in, the, in his very first lines, it, it almost, it sounds like what you would expect somebody who's come after having been elected nationally, what they would start a speech out. And, and yet, given what we've been through, not just in four years, but maybe even more pronounced in the past two or two and a half months, reclaiming this idea of the fundamentals of democracy felt new and big, right? They, they, they may have been throwaway lines in past inaugural addresses. Right, right, but it was a new relevance. Yeah, and yeah, it felt yeah, like th there was a bigness to it, even if it felt um, sort of simple. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, just I, I think in some ways simply reclaiming the idea that, as Biden said, you know, democracy prevailed, uh, really rose to the occasion and met the moment. Because it was such a gear shift. And I, I, I agree. Kudos to the organizers. I'll give a salute to Senator Klobuchar and Senator Blunt uh, on the, the, the kind of ran the committee show and the staff under him. Because, and I think kudos to Biden, too, tone-wise, because it was a wounded inaugural. That empty mall was there via the pandemic and the security needs and all this yeah. crazy situation we're in. So Biden kind of addressed it in his speech. You know, the 
there was an honesty to the whole thing that reflected where the country is right now, well, both it also visually, ref- which is, I think, powerful, and it I, also I think ref- resonated. It also reflects who who Biden is. Uh, you know, Biden, uh, it, it was suffused with what is truly his philosophy and his values, what was striking to me. And let me just say parenthetically, as you're throwing around kudos uh, to Stephanie Cutter, who once again has our old buddy who's uh, who who's been in charge of this from the Biden side, and also to Mike Donilon, who we've mentioned before. Uh, Mike's been, uh, Mike is a uh, strategist, uh, and uh, he's been working with Biden for three decades, and really understands his voice. And, uh, you know, and the speech was completely authentically Biden. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. his worldview, and his worldview is that we have to see the common humanity in each other. You know, his worldview is that America stands for something big, uh, not and it's not selfishness, and it's not, you know, the law of the jungle. It's neighbor caring for neighbor and uh, people cooperating uh, to move the country forward. And uh, and and that that's why, in certain ways, he he was the only guy who could possibly have beaten Donald Trump. Because he was such an antithesis to him, and that was no more apparent uh, than today. Um, and he did address the moment. Let's uh, listen. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts. If we show a little tolerance and humility, and if we're willing to stand in the other person's shoes, as my mom would say, just for a moment, stand in their shoes. Because here's the thing about life. There's no accounting for what fate will deal you. Some days, when you need a hand, there are other days when we're called to lend a hand. That's how it has to be. That's what we do for one another. Yeah, and that was pure Biden. Right oh, yeah. There. No, no. He, uh, he, and I don't mean, this will sound divisive. It'll probably be divisive, but it, it'll sound wrong. But he is, in some ways, a one-hit wonder. That's all who he's always been. That's his thing. And in this election, it, it totally fit. And uh, it, it was propulsive for him, and it crescendoed in this speech. I thought it was very authentic and believable, and we know what he wants to do. Now, doing it, because that's who Biden is. It may not be who you know, the other 600 people in Washington are out there maneuvering are, but maybe it'll rub off a little because the country could use it. No, I did think that last line of, the, of, of lending a hand and, and getting a hand is also tremendously autobiographical. Right. This is somebody who has had to deal with, as we, as everybody well knows, I mean, he's had to deal with both personal failures and personal tragedies, uh, you know, while on these big stages. And the culmination of today, again, I was just struck by the simple, powerful eloquence of uh, of what we heard. You talk about about uh, Biden's story. How about because here's the thing about life: there's no accounting for what fate will deal you. That is. Precisely. I mean, no one knows that better yeah. uh, than Joe Biden. There was a there was a companion uh, 
uh, clip that there was a companion clip that I think uh, also uh, follows on this theme. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again, hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. So that to me was a message to the people sitting behind him uh, as much as to the public. Uh, That was a message to uh, the members of Congress with whom he's going to have to work and who he hopes will work uh, with them. And and, and, uh, Murphy, I... You, uh, I'm sure this that line was if you were dialing the speech, and they probably were dialing the speech. Um, that line probably was off the charts. Yeah, that's uh, what the country wants, or most of it. Uh, they want it in the abstract, in the minute to minute, where we have a whole political system, including the media. And there's some lessons in this speech for them too, uh, which is based on covering conflict day to day and elevating trivia to world crisis. This would be a culture change in Washington. So he's going to do his damnedest to achieve that. And I think there are people in both parties who want it, and there are people in both parties who will find it an uncomfortable new environment to be in because they've, they're have they locked into warrior mode. So this is going to be the heaviest lift of his presidency, but it's the one the country wants the most. I don't know if you saw the uh, presentation of gifts uh, inside the Capitol from the legislative leaders uh, after the speech, but it was— kind of rich to watch uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who voted to overturn the election results uh, just a few weeks ago, and really was one of the people who stoked uh, some of this unrest. Uh, the uh, And he, uh, he, his first thing he said was, I'm very proud of you both, he said to Biden and Harris. And he said, uh, all of us uh, will be judged not by our words, but by our actions. And it's like, yeah, pal. I mean, um, see, there you go. Day of healing. You got no, up no, the no. I'm already. hoping every, this is a new let's day, wait man. Till sundown. Right. Well, no. Uh, let's wait and see in the coming days. But I want to talk real politics here because we are the hacks. Yep. You know, yeah, we're that, not that, yeah, let's get off the poetry. Exactly. Who's going to get screwed? <laughs> On this point, like, what are the odds? Because it seems to me both uh, McCarthy and uh, McConnell, you know, are sort of in in uh, they're being squeezed, right? Because uh, you've got the rest of Trump base. This is more of a problem for McCarthy probably than uh, McConnell, uh, who don't want cooperation, who vehemently believe that the election was uh, stolen, and. Uh, more than that, who know that their base believes it, that that yeah, uh, yeah, voters I think it's believe less it. them. Yeah, that more their, their, their voter, voters. their voters believe it. So, uh, how much Murphy? How much cooperation can they they give Biden? Well, I think the House and Senate are different, and McConnell and McCarthy are different. McConnell, when he gets squeezed, knows how to squeeze back. McCarthy doesn't. He's got a tough caucus that pushes them around. 
in many ways. Steve Scalise has more power than McCarthy does, so he's got a lot of kind of small p politics problems there. And the other thing is it's a tricky situation for the R's. Beyond all the brand problems that Trump has brought to the party and the moral stain and disgrace, there, you know, we have to be careful because the party that wins the White House always says, well, let's be bipartisan. In other words, you guys do everything I want or 90% of it. And the other party has a political benefit. I mean, I remember Senate leader Tom Daschle was not the king of cooperation when he was the minority leader in, on the Democratic side because he had two agendas, to get, get as much as he could get done from their point of view on policy and win the next set of elections. So the problem is uh, under Trump, and, and you guys would argue during parts of Obama, though I've heard all the Republican arguments about that 90-10 formula for bipartisanship, just to put all that aside, you, you got to find somewhere in the middle where you're the loyal opposition not the destructive opposition but we're close enough in both houses that the stakes are really high and the the bad habits are around from last time so you know i think what mcconnell will do i think mccarthy will be a prisoner of his caucus which means trouble you know they're not off off the rails but a plurality of them are real trouble and who knows there might be a prosecution against some of them for their role in the insurrection so the house is a lot of tough issues coming forward on the other hand it's not as important in the House because, as you guys well know, the minority has damn little power. In the Senate, where the minority has power, if it is in the political interest, I think, of the party in the Senate uh, Republicans, McConnell will do it. And he has been sending pretty good signals about we should all learn the lesson of the election. The people want us to work together. Now, I don't think that'll mean an ideological surrender, but President Biden knows that Republican world and calculus a lot better than the average Democratic president. So if there's somebody who can pick the lock and work with McConnell to get at least some things done, uh, it'll be Biden. I think the challenge, and it'll be interesting to watch, is, and a a number of people have said this, is do they look to paper over their intra-party differences with opposition to a Democratic president? In other words, let's stave off this civil war, which quite frankly seems somewhat active. I mean, on the House side, you've got at least a majority of House Republicans who seem to want to uh, have a referendum on whether Liz Cheney should still be in leadership. And the question is, do you, do, does, does a McCarthy, because I agree with Murphy, is, is not a particularly strong leader personally in the minority, you don't have a lot to compete with. Do you just simply try to throw all of that out in name uh, in, the, in the name of opposing a Democratic president in, in order just to paper this over? Well, I, I don't I mean, think that's particularly... That may not be the best electoral strategy uh, because I think there's a lot of reclamation that has to be done on the Republican brand in the suburbs. Uh, Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, this is true in both the Senate and the House. It's a question of where you, you know, if you're the leader, your job is to make sure your party wins a majority. I mean, that's what drives Mitch McConnell. That's what drives McCarthy. And the question is, can you be... uh, you know, as sort of nihilistic as the, as some of these Republicans are and win back some of these uh, suburban areas that are necessary. Uh, uh, McConnell's looking at uh, Senate races in 2022 in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania. And, you know, are these guys... Ohio. Yeah, uh, right. They, uh, Ohio. You're still on Ohio? Yeah, <laughs> we Mer- watch Ohio. The dream, the dream lives. <laughs> but uh, Ohio. Hey, I'm not dreaming. But, I want Portman to get reelected. But the Democrat yeah. dream this time. But still, mm. it could be a competitive race for right. sure. 
But there, so there is an incentive for the leaders to want to moderate and be be and have, right. you know, that is not necessarily the incentive for people who come from red deep red districts or deep red states or want to run in a presidential primary in 2024, like Hawley or Cotton or some of those guys. Well, and I think yeah, too, it, you've got the the challenge of, I mean, the legislative agenda. I, I'm I'm I still remain pessimistic on uh, at least a short-term stimulus deal, not the least of which because they just passed one. And I think you're going to hear a lot of Republicans say, we just did $900 billion. Let's wait a little bit to see what that does, to see what that what the impact on the economy. For me, if you're Biden, I think you've got to get them focused in some way quickly on the money you need to get this vaccine distribution right. Because to me, yeah, that's the, bar- everything. the barometer of whether Biden is successful in the next six months and then in the next three and a half years, to me, has almost everything to do with getting this vaccine distribution right. Every one of us on <laughs> who, are, who are right now taping this have had conversations with friends or uh, or or parents wondering why and how they can't get vac- uh, a vaccination. And I think it's going to drive in a huge way because it will drive economic recovery as much as it will drive public health, all at the moment in which we're racing against a more contagious strain of this virus. I heard our old buddy uh, Gibbs, uh, Jen Psaki, and I know you talked to her um, this uh, this morning uh, on CNN, and she was, uh, and sh- she was asked, you know, uh, how long it would take to get this vaccine thing straightened out. And she was uh, very, and I think very intentionally, you know, uh, setting expectations and said, you know, it is a big mess and it's going to take a couple of months before we really feel uh, feel the change. And <laughs> I think set that's those a, expectations, but that well, might actually be true because it's hard to entangle. It might yeah. be, but this is the danger, you know, starting oh, at huge, noon today, yeah. everybody who's pissed about not getting a vaccine is no longer going to be pissed at Donald Trump. They're going to be pissed at Joe Biden. So they, they've got a man. They, that is a really yeah. difficult question that they have to manage. And he, you know, accentuated again in the speech that, you know, there are dark days ahead relative to the virus and that it's going to take yep. uh, us coming together and dispensing of the dispensing with the politics i've Um, agreed in a bipartisan spirit not to start complaining for two days uh and then i expect to get vaccinated but i want to back up a little because you guys (laughs) did a quick flyover on this suburban issue and i i want to come at it from a little different point of view because to understand the republican house strategy it's a it's a different political equation than i think you guys on the democratic side go to and I, i generally agree with you the suburbs are everything but inside the Republican caucus in the House, there's a debate about that. It's kind of like a football debate. Do we run the ball because we only need six yards? We're only a couple of seats down. So we do a little more what we do. We turn out the base like right. crazy. We Redistricting will help. Yeah, and we, right. We grind it out. And Or do we throw the ball, take some pain on the primary side to try to fix the suburbs, and, you know, pick up a dozen seats or even 20 in the off year. We're going to have retirements. There are going to be Democratic congressmen who are going to turn into Democratic lobbyists. Now that we have a, you know, the, there will be opportunities. So that is a big fight. You see, by the way, that Trump signed an executive order this morning uh, uh, allowing people who worked in his administration to lobby immediately. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, no, no. So they can raise those legal defense funds up to what they're going to need. We're refilling yeah. the swamp. <laughs> so the point is the suburban equation that'll help you win the presidency and statewide right. in Republican House politics, there are a lot of guys saying, you know what? We just need to turn the volume to 11 and we're grind our way to a yeah, couple of Yeah, the interesting seats. thing is on the Democratic side, Gibbs, because, you know, you'll get the same a- aggravation from people on the left about catering to the suburbs about sure. moderation and so on but the 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 suburban peace has become absolutely essential uh to democrats yeah it's college absolutely. now that's the cut college and race you know in the old days we won the college voters now if you're fancy collegeified <laughs> you're voting democratic and in, in worlds where that used to not you, happen. you used to not ridicule the college people when they were voting for you I'm picking you up some uh, lime caught salmon at Whole Foods shortly. Uh, Murphy. Um, yeah, no, make no, sure you take your Prius. Yeah, exactly. No, I, but no, I, I think that, look, I, I think you're right because I think 2022 off year elections obviously different ha, have different electorates than in presidential races. So, look, I think this is going to be a, a hugely pitched battle. We shouldn't forget on the Republican side, too, you know, we've got 147, I think members uh or 140 in the house, house that voted and, against yeah, yeah. decertifying 47 so, house and senate i mean yeah. the, the caucus hasn't changed over there even if the day uh, and the administration is different so I, I think look and and we had we had extraordinarily close elections we have senate races in the six closest presidential states right. that, in 2020 um we've got an evenly split senate and as murphy said just six in the house which is razor thin out of 435 so you got a you got an almost equally split, um, you, you know, uh, divide on each side in this, and I think it's going to be. It is going to. I think Murphy, you said this earlier. It's going to take every bit of of Joe Biden's political acumen to figure out the trail uh, up this tricky mountain. So let me ask I you this. By the way, number time. one Senate race, really quickly that yes. we're going to be enjoying here. You got. I have one. The primary between Marco Rubio and Ivanka Trump for the Florida Senate seat. Yeah, you she think that's going to really happen? look well? I, I hear. Murphy, now, are you, you are know, you talking to her, Murphy? I'm. I I've decided my <laughs> role to unify the country is to liberate a hundred million dollars out of the problem is they're broke now, so the Trump campaign isn't even a score. But no, I'll be against both of them. I'll be writing in. Well, the he's got about two hundred fifty million dollars that he can throw into a super PAC if he wants to. That right? is true. I think yeah. that's gone noticed in their world. Yeah. Hey, Robert. Uh, so, you know uh, how much I love our old boss and how proud I am of of uh, him and everything that he accomplished and the way he conducted himself. But you know, one of the things that is true, it's fair criticism, is that he did not love lobbying legislators he did not socialize with them you know the, he didn't they didn't come over for dinner they didn't go to camp david that's not what he did uh he expected in fairness that, none of them wanted to eat with them but sure. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> because he always wanted them to do what with, with yep. the right thing and he yep. wasn't in their view sufficiently yeah, sensitive to their political needs making, yeah you know, so joe biden, biden is a is different, different guy yeah he's yeah. a different guy uh and you know he 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 is he is proud proudly a politician when he says we you've got to put yourself in the other person's shoes he he that's his philosophy of how you deal with fellow politicians and try and understand what their needs are and so the question is in this kind of manichaean environment that we have uh do those skills still matter can it make a difference for him 
Well, I, I think I think those skills do still matter. I think he's got, quite frankly, exceedingly little choice but to use those skills. Um, I, I think, you know, apropos to the beginning of your question, I mean, when we needed to Can't get something done. I remember the beginning done, of my question. I know, it wasn't. <laughs> I got to cut those I'll questions I'll check my down. calendar. It was sometime yesterday. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a couple of episodes ago. I get it. But um, – no, but I think when we needed something to get done on Capitol Hill um, and we needed to get something done with Mitch McConnell, we Joe Biden went to do it and, yes. and, and was pretty successful. Now, again, yes. we're at a different time period. But I look, we've said this before. If anybody was made for this moment, it's Joe Biden. I, yeah. I mean, there's nobody I, I else totally I can imagine agree. on the Democratic side that could do this. Yes, the Senate is different, but... But the corollary to Biden's superpower is he's going to have to train his troops who are a bunch of, you know, killers who just came off drenched in yeah. blood, the Trump destruction, to say, all right, I can actually get stuff done with McConnell, but I'm not going to bring you the whole pie back. Well, I'm going to bring you 65% yeah, of the pie. Yeah. And then Bernie, who looked happy today, um, and, and, and the progressives are like, no, we just won the total war. Keep going. Yeah. And well, so that, you know, the I, internal I, politics are going to be the challenge for him, Schumer, and Pelosi. This was, for both sides. In, fa in fact, one of the raps against Biden from uh, the left in the primaries was that, you know, he cut bad deals uh, because they had to give stuff up. And, you know, uh, a, a state tax for refundable tax credits for the working poor and so on. Um, so, yeah. Uh, no, yes, I think that, this, that will be a problem. That will this be a will problem. be that I, Murphy you're, you're or a both challenge right. at least. The, I think it will be a constant struggle because the truth is, um, you can do one of two things, right? You can declare all-out war and try not to, you, you know, you, you you either get it all or you get nothing in in that view, or you can make some strong incremental progress. And right. I, I think right. this will be, um, I think it will be interesting to watch. I'm I'm in the more incremental progress camp. Um, ideologically, but also I think, again, I, I don't, you got a 50, 50 Senate, right? You've got, you've got every, every marginal member, every member in the middle that is now the Senate majority leader. You have no choice, but to go for, if you can get 65%, you're accomplishing a lot, right? That's more oh, yeah. than 50. No, no, I, I, and I, think I agree. But I agree yeah. with you that it's going to be, this is going to be hard to explain. All right, Gibbs, go talk to him, will you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah go yeah. handle it. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of will they trade the smell of cordite Look, for the smell of progress. Now, I'm going to pull an axelrod here and cue a clip um, right here playing the hits because I think a good way and a necessary way Biden tried to cut the oxygen from the future of conflict for its own sake was reminding us that in a democracy, the first thing you have to have is a shared set of facts. If we could listen to yeah. clip number three about getting reality back into politics – I thought it was an important theme. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders. Leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation. To defend the truth and defeat the lies. Bullseye. Yeah, that was a great, great, uh, that was a great message. And again, I think that was aimed at, aimed as, at, at a lot of different uh, places, but not just the general public. 
but also to elements of the news media and to uh, the people sitting behind him on the platform uh, who just two, you know, just weeks earlier stood on the floor of that House and propagated lies about the election, and uh, you know I saw Ted Cruz in the in the uh, stands today, and there are others who are uh, who are guilty. Kevin McCarthy, we mentioned earlier, of propagating lies that and and you know the the line I liked uh, in there that was so true is uh, there is truth and there are lies, lies told for power and for profit, and that's exactly what we saw, and so um, you know. The, the question is that now that's one that is also it's easy to talk about, but it's going to take a lot of energy and goodwill to defeat, you know, the the force of disinformation. Well, uh, and, we should be careful because there's there's almost there's almost nothing he can do to solve that. Right. I mean, it's it, I think he can. He well, can sure. Try why to, we he play can the clip set then. the tone. Right. You know. <laughs> he, he can. He's the bully pulpit. I'll tell you this about: if the market moves, the politicians move. They're entrepreneurs, so he can nudge. He can hold the high lantern high. There are things he can do, but he doesn't control it because politicians, as you guys know better than anybody, follow short-term incentives to get more power, more votes, whatever. You, also, you said, Murphy, last, last, when we spoke the other day, you also talked, I think, rightly about, uh, in the Republic, on the Republic side, the power of donors and, uh, and corporate uh, players. Uh, and they've sort of put their, uh, their foot down on some of this stuff, oh, too. Oh, they've dropped the hammer. There is panic, and there ought to be, in the Republican you know, fundraising community because the average senator blowing in the wind is like, well, I'm going to tick off my primary voters. And now they say in the meeting, yeah, that could cost you election. You know what else will cost you the election? Being outspent five to one on media because we don't have any money. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a different world now post-insurrection. It may not be 180% change, but the power dynamic in the party and the path forward is now a lot murkier and we're going to fight it out. But it, it is not the same equation we had six months ago. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think on this information ecosystem, I think, look, I do think that Biden can work as much as he can with the powers that be in the, in the House and the Senate to, to try to have a more informed uh, debate, that, one on facts that, that, as he talked about, is, is, is less of a burning fire destroying everything in its path. I just think the plumbing of that information ecosystem that exists outside of the beltway is what is so lethal and poison. And we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I think it's going to be interesting again to watch Republicans are going They're They're essentially having to climb down on the fact that, that they've gotten everybody whipped up in their base to believing, or so many of them whipped up in the base to believing that the whole election was stolen. And yet this happened today. And in well, reality, they're going to have to come down a bit from that and explain to people that, Eh, maybe it wasn't quite what they said it was. You know, yeah, they've got to know in the media to like, I, I was flipping around this morning pre-speech watching the Trump departure and thoroughly enjoying it. Who? But the level of, uh, yeah, what's his name? <laughs> the the guy with the radioactive hair. Oh, that guy, yeah. The real estate business, yeah. But TV the guy. amount of snark on straight cable TV news this morning uh, was stunning to me. Now, I know everybody hates him. I get it. I hated him. Um, but there are a lot of Americans who voted for the guy as their president, and they're they're not helping the cause of tribalism with this just absolute nonstop sneer 
I, I think, and I think a lot of them will, thankfully, just mute the coverage way down on him. But they've got to know their business model of screaming complaints about Trump in prime time. And I'm, I'm talking about the network I work for and the other network. Um, I hope they find a new model because they don't want to be the profiteers of tribalism forever, I would think. Here's what I think is going to be interesting on the cable TV stuff is watch Fox and what they have to do to get the viewers they're they're just losing in droves to Newsmax. I mean, to watch those guys, to, to listen to Maria Bartiroma yesterday say that two weeks ago, a bunch of Democrats dressed up as MAGA folks and ran through and ransacked the Capitol is, um, I mean, that it's going to be wild to watch. I mean, David, you and I walked into the White House during a uh, an interesting time in 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 the Murdoch, uh, the Murdoch's Fox News um, yeah. saga uh, yeah. with uh, with the late Roger Ailes, and I think it's going to be absolutely that's going to be absolutely nothing compared to what you see now because. They're, they've got to go find a million viewers that have that have left to go, to go log on to the internet and watch Newsmax. By the way, did you hear, someone told me, and uh, we'll cut this in and we'll pretend I never said it if it's not true, that uh, Judge Janine's ex-husband got a pardon at the last minute. That, I read that too. Yeah. I read that too. Yeah, yeah I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I, yeah. I did and see it, Chris Wallace, uh, I thought, had telling comments about some of the stresses inside Fox News. Because uh, but, you're right, they're in the. Well, go ahead, do the pardon thing, and then I'll do something. No, no, I, I'm done with the pardon. I just wanted to lay it out there and have everybody get their arms around it. I would say more about it, but now you lectured us about snark, and so I'm not. <laughs> go, I'm not going to. I'm in the snark business. Are you kidding? My yeah, my license saying. plate is snark numero uno. You know what I'm saying? He's definitely in favor of snark. But I want I want to go from snark to Saint Augustine. Oh, uh, wait a minute. You're giving me whiplash. That was, that, <laughs> You're also playing out of your league, okay? I wow. want to make sure you get this one right. <laughs> just going alphabetically. And I'm in Infrastructure the week is here because <laughs> Axe just built a bridge that is unbuildable. Uh, yeah. No, I'm going to quote the Grand Rabbi of Jerusalem next. We're going to do a big switcheroo here. <laughs> All right. Go, of, go ahead, brother. The beginning of uh, that quote that we just played on truth was equally meaningful Um and maybe we can go back and get it, but I'll read you uh, part of what he said. Uh, he said, uh, St. Augustine uh, wrote that a people was a multitude defined by the common objects of their love. And he said, um, he said, what are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as Americans? I think we know opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, truth. And uh, I really... I think there was more to that than perhaps, you know, it, it deserves more attention because what he's saying is, let's find those things that unite us as Americans, that unite us as human beings, that, that, that right. are the, 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 um, the, the North Star uh, for us and let us unite around those things. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I, I think that's really, really important. It is very easy to um, to divide, it is very easy to find wedges in today's uh, environment. But it is important to sit back and say, "Well, what is it that we can all share? What is it totally. that we all share and agree on?" And I thought that was uh, really valuable. You know, the whole thing, you guys, uh, strikes me. What what I was sitting there, you know, I've been so focused for the last four years on Trump's philosophy, and he does have a philosophy, and his philosophy is that the world is a jungle, 
that the the strong eat the weak uh, and that you do whatever you need to do to take what you want to take and um, and if you don't you're foolish and and, and you're a loser uh, and Biden's philosophy is just so different than well it's that. very communitarian which yes. is good and the other thing my secret little because yeah I'm a conservative there's plenty I disagree with Biden on but my little fanboy thing about Biden and you guys are going to groan but Biden is old school Democrat and he is not bought into this identity obsession in the Democratic Party, where we're just a confederation of groups competing uh, and and having grievances. Biden is a the idea of citizenship, the old American ideal. He's Reagan-esque in that world, the shining city on the hill for everybody. And he's a little retro in that respect, and I really like it because it's powerful and it's what built our democracy, the common idea of what brings us all together, not into our pigeonholes about our differences. So I think Biden just instinctively gets that. And you're right, it's the anti-Trump. But it's also not the identity craze that has possessed some in his party. So I I think that'll be another aspect of his healing, to recreate that idea of a common identity, where we're all in it together. To that point, Murphy, what I'm fascinated to watch over the next few weeks and next few months is, you know, the ability— of a Joe Biden to raise that as the bar that we all need to meet, that Congress needs to meet. How does he use that sort of bully pulpit? How does he bring that those levers of pressure publicly? How, how does he do that? We, we, we've, we've spent four years watching the previous occupant just gaslight everybody on Twitter. And, and I think we've, we've, we, we've, we've spent a long time devoid of watching somebody having to sort of essentially create a public campaign around those bigger ideals and getting the Senate and the House to do bigger things because we've never had a series of moments like we're facing right now. What 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 Joe Biden and Kamala Harris inherit today is what no president has inherited since Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. Yeah. So well, let, let, let when we hear him say that. Good segue by me. (laughs) Folks, this is a time of testing. We face an attack on our democracy and on truth. A raging virus, growing inequity, the sting of systemic racism, a climate in crisis, America's role in the world. Any one of these would be enough to challenge us in profound ways. But the fact is, We face them all at once, presenting this nation with one of the gravest responsibilities we've had. Now we're going to be tested. Are we going to step up, all of us? It's time for boldness, for there's so much to do. And this is certain. I promise you, we will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. We will rise to the occasion is the question. Will we master this rare and difficult hour? Will we meet our obligations and pass along a new and better world to our children? I believe we must. I'm sure you do as well. I believe we will. And when we do, we'll write the next great chapter in the history of the United States of America, the American story. There were elements almost of Churchill in that, right? This idea of Take this step with me in meeting the moment, in rising to the occasion 
that this country needs and deserves. And I think that, again, can he summon rhetorically and politically the power necessary to do that is going to be what will be fascinating to watch in the next. As months. you guys said earlier, I think the virus is an opportunity for that. Uh, I mean, if he, if this is a Churchillian moment, uh, marshalling the nation against this, getting this whole vaccine thing straightened out, uh, and so on. And, you know, he's asking for the tools to do that. Um, and if, uh, if if people in Congress are seen as being obstructive to that, um, I, I think that's bad politics. If he frames it right, uh, yeah, and that, that is the key, and that he he also resists the political tactic that we all know of here's something unstoppable. Here's an unstoppable train the country must have and the country wants. So let's take this moment to put thirty more boxcars on it of our stuff. You know, so if he can keep the keep the train big, sleek, and moving, the country will be behind him. I remember about a year ago uh, that we were talking about you know bad scenarios for the Dems, and my big fear was they would the vaccine would come quickly, which was good, and they distribute it well, which was better, but there would be that economic vaccine comeback just at the very end, like thirty days ago. And there'd be an era of good feelings, and that might be enough to wash Trump into office. Well, now, through his efforts, and should the country answer this call, and should he provide the leadership we haven't had, Biden's going to get that era of good feelings. The economy coming back, a tremendous sense of relief, which started today. And that is a powerful tool for a politician, because it'll give him standing and momentum, and he will have done it. And you know anybody with a non-totally primary voter-driven seat is not going to want to get in the way of that freight train. Well, Murphy, and it I was interesting, think. and I wasn't going to spend any time on this talking about what the former president said today. Uh, good to say former president. But it was interesting in some of those remarks when he said, uh, I think it was at Andrews when he said, you know, big things are about to happen. And don't you forget, don't you yeah. forget to give me credit for that. It was <laughs> yeah. almost like yeah. Yeah. to say, you know, this, I love this idea of like, we've set them up. Yeah. It's all ready to go. It's yeah, just, my master and, plan. Yeah. So the bad, if the bad stuff happens, it's them. And if the good stuff happens, yeah, it was because I laid but, the ground. But I thought it was in the, interesting in the back of his head to, um, he knows to, yeah. to know that uh, when they get this straightened out, it'll go gangbusters. I think he's right. I think it's, uh, you know, one of the things that could mitigate some of the vulnerabilities that Democrats have in the midterms is that if Biden gets this, uh, if he gets this vaccine thing right, and if uh, Americans get vaccinated and can go back to work uh, and resume, resume some sense of normalcy, there is a real economic boon coming, and it could yep. hit just in time for the midterm uh, elections. I mean, it could be a great 2022, and uh, that will uh, redound to his benefit. Look, it's just your party, though, just quickly, it has to understand, and it stumbled in the congressional midterms, that the country wants a reformation, not a revolution. And totally. that that is the the third rail. I've got to put on I, one little I will thing, say this, and then why to, don't you bring us home to the last clip you got? To that, Murphy, I will just say this. I hope Joe Biden doesn't forget, before he won the presidency, he won the Democratic primary. With that message, Murphy. 
but but he he run it by he he won it by not pandering to that wing of the party. So right. now that they've got a president, it's time to. Uh, he also won it by not being Donald by being the guy who everybody thought might be able to beat Donald Trump. Right, totally, totally, and that was a lot of the rocket fuel all the way through. I remember wise old Paul once told me. This is the old school way of thinking about it, but I've always believed it. Yeah, the base, the base, the base. You know, the you got the base, so you have to break their hearts a little to get anything done. Mm-hmm. Um, last point, worth a Google there, dear listeners, in, in your emotional satisfaction before we hopefully don't mention the name for a while. Check out the lonely footage of the former President T landing in West Palm, a lone suburban, no crowd, scurrying down from the last ride, hopefully on, on Air Force One. She's got a new dress on, nobody there. It was total end of the Marco stuff. And it is a an amazing, uh, Josh Dowsey or whatever from the Post, I think, tweeted a little video of it. It is hilarious. A good way to put a button on all your mental images of him. Yeah. I mean, it, just while you're there, uh, you know, he left. Obviously, you know, I, I was thinking today, if he had played it straight, if he had, if he'd lost and uh, had conceded and engaged in a normal transition, uh, sat on that platform today, uh, you know, who knows where he would have been when he left. Yeah, but, he could have been the front runner legitimately right. if he had left with some grace and just, but, you know. Well, he, he would have looked, he would, he, today made him, every step he took leaving that White House to that plane ride, made him look smaller with every step. Yeah. Because yeah. he wasn't with the people. He's part of the most exclusive club in the world and didn't want to be seen with that club today. By definition, it pushed him to making him smaller. Now, obviously, to what you said, David, he wasn't going to do what he needed to do to to check his membership with that club today. But, boy, if he would have looked, I think he's going to look back in a little while and realize he could have stood up there with people that were former presidents and looked at least marginally presidential yeah. for a few hours. Oh, yeah, but it requires changing the unchangeable. Yeah, right. Yes. It's like, totally. you know, if, if... Can't rewire that. Yeah, if that elephant could just fly, imagine how yeah. far he could go. If Napoleon had nuclear subs, you know, bonjour. Let's go out uh, because we're getting uh, messages from our stalwart uh, producer, Allison Siegel, that we're, we're talk- we talk too much and we should go. Uh, so no, I didn't. I didn't get that. I think one. she said you talk too much. Yeah, I think uh, that might have been a mono text. <laughs> Actually, she didn't. You, she uh, she may have said don't tell Murphy, but uh, <laughs> he's on a yeah, roll. Yeah, he's fragile that way. <laughs> let us uh, let us go out with uh, yeah, Let's do it. The uh, the last this last clip of Joe Biden, and as we do, let us say Godspeed, Mr. President. We all have a stake in your success. Absolutely. I give you my word. I will always level with you. I will defend the Constitution. I'll defend our democracy. I'll defend America. And I'll give all, all of you, keep everything you, I do in your service, thinking not of power, but of possibilities, not of personal interest, but the public good. And together, we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness. A story of decency and dignity, love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us, the story that inspires us, and the story that tells ages yet to come that we answered the call of history. We met the moment. Democracy and hope 
truth and justice did not die on our watch but thrive. That America secured liberty at home and stood once again as a beacon to the world. That is what we owe our forebears, one another and generation to follow.